you for your music this morning. And now please pray with me. Holy God and author of our existence, our story is part of a greater story. And your hand is visible on every page and in every scene. So too, our stories cannot be disconnected from those in the past who have shaped the steps we take. Saints and sinners, rebels and followers, they are part of our story as well as we are part of theirs. As we offer gifts this day, we pray they might be used to strengthen the story of faith that will be told by those who will come after we are gone. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is Ascension Sunday, and our scripture reading covers an event that happened 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, 40 days after Easter. Now, during those 40 days, Jesus had been appearing to the disciples, and he continued to instruct them and encourage them. You may remember we've talked about the um, encounter on the lakeshore with Peter and the disciples, um, Jesus appearing in the upper room where Thomas hadn't been there. Um, and then we also, there's another story of the walk to Emmaus. So all of these encounters happened after Jesus was re resurrected. So this takes place now, 40 days after this. And Luke is the author, is believed to be the author of Acts, where this story takes place. And he, sometimes this book is called um, part two of his Gospel of Luke. So we'll pick up the story now in Acts chapter one. I believe we've got, oh great. Dear Theopolis, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to his apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but, Jesus continues, must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and soon. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there, staring into an empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. So they left the mountain called Olives and returned to Jerusalem. It was a little over a half a mile and they went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place. And so I just imagine 
the disciples staring up into the sky where Jesus has disappeared. And there they were, staring up at the sky, probably wondering, oh my gosh, you're leaving us again? Now what? And I used to have a hard time getting into this story and the meaning of ascension. I remember once seeing a painting at a museum of the ascension. And at the very top, right beneath the frame, were the bare feet of Jesus as he ascended into heaven. And most of the disciples looking up in various poses of fear and confusion and awe. And so as I prepared for this sermon, I started going down a bit of a rabbit hole and found some other artists' depictions of the ascension. Artists all throughout the centuries and through many different cultures and how they have portrayed Jesus ascending into the sky. And so we've got just about, I don't know, I, I narrowed it down to like eight. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, artists from Germany, artists from Budapest, artists from Ukraine. Uh, 11th century artists, African artists, all of them trying to make sense of what the scripture calls the ascension of Jesus. And so if I'm, be if I'm being completely honest, I've always felt like this was an odd ending to Jesus' life on earth. And it's also just kind of sad. Jesus is gone. And the disciples are left once again with this mixed bag of emotions and more disorientation. One of my favorite authors, the late Rachel Held Evans, wrote this letter to Jesus about the ascension event. She writes, Dear Jesus, we weren't ready. Surely you could have seen that as you floated into the sky your disciples standing beneath your feet with craned necks, slacked mouths, a million questions, and no clue what to do next. I bet they totally asked those angels which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom, and Luke just left that part out because, oh my gosh, not again. How embarrassing. And while we're on it, what's with the floating thing? After all the eating and drinking and healing and laughing and crying, it just doesn't seem like your style floating. I like you better with your feet on the ground. I'll be honest, Jesus. Ascension Day brings up some abandonment issues for me. The ascension of Jesus is mentioned several times throughout the writings in the New Testament as the authors of the letters reference this event and pointed to Jesus being with God or being raised up to be with God. First Timothy, a letter believed to have been written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a follower of Paul um, who had instructed his to take care of the church in Ephesus, he writes in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, without question the mystery of godliness is great, he was revealed as a human, declared righteous by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached throughout the nations, believed in around the world, and taken up in glory. Taken up in glory. And I began to wonder what that looked like or felt like as the disciples looked up in the sky, that Jesus was taken up in glory. I recently listened to a podcast that Pastor Steve shared with me. The pastor used the story found in the Gospel of John when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. 
Jesus had arrived on the scene after Lazarus had died and asked Martha to take away the stone. But Martha said, he's already been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Glory, there it is again. My grandmother's name was Nina Luella Dahlgren Gaines. She loved her family and she loved Jesus. She was the Christian education director at the Peoria First United Methodist Church and she directed over 1,500 children and adults who attended Sunday school every week with around 75 Sunday school teachers. Grandma had a prayer hanging by the guest bed and it read, it says, a morning prayer. God has created a new day, silver and green and gold. May I live so the sunset will find me, worthy his gifts to hold. It was a gentle reminder of a new day coming. My grandparents had it printed onto business cards and would give it to people that they knew. She loved flowers. And she sewed a beautiful dress that had flowers of deep jade, fuchsia, purple, and rose. It was a fabric that my dad brought back from a business trip to India. And this was the dress that she had chosen to wear as we said goodbye to her in February of 1994. After her funeral and burial in the cemetery, I loaded into my car with my parents, and we were still heavy with grief. After you lose someone, there's a lot of activity and planning and coming and going and busyness. But once the funeral ends, it can feel very final and the loneliness of grief can take over. Well, we drove from the cemetery along the farm fields of central Illinois as the sun was setting, all three of us quiet and taking in the moments and the memories of the past few days. And then it seemed to appear all at once, not gradually like most sunsets, we looked towards the west and took in the most beautiful sunset. It was deep jade, fuchsia, purple, and rose, the color of my grandmother's dress, the color of the flowers my mom had selected to go atop her casket. And I think this is what God's glory feels like. As we rode in the car, heavy with grief, it felt like God was saying, I'm here. The car in that moment was holy ground. It's not something you can touch or hold, but it will change the way you see the world. Somehow, God is here. God's glory will turn a car ride into holy ground, grief into awe. God doesn't make the hurt or the grief go away, but for a moment, you know you're not alone. When God seems so close, there seems to be no better word than glory. Glory is a word scripture uses to tell us God is here, God is present. Glory shows up 376 times in the Old Testament and 230 in the New Testament. It's used in a variety of ways and there are many Hebrew words that translate to glory for us. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And John 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I think about Jesus being taken up in glory in the ascension and wondering if perhaps those that were gathered felt Jesus saying, I'm here. And I think glory is also in the small things in life. Many of you know I also serve at Taft Elementary, and after a particularly challenging situation one day, I walked from my office into the school building to continue my work on a project. Tim Lowe's office, our principal, is just inside the main school doors, and as I walked by, he said excitedly, hey, do you have a minute? I came into his office, and he told me about a Spotify channel he listens to on his walk every morning. He finds all kinds of beautiful worship music, and this morning's walk yielded a song he wanted to share with me. So I sat down, and he played it for me. The melody, the instrumentation, and the harmonies. I remember tearing up as the music washed over me, and I think that's what God's glory feels like. As I sat in Tim's office, tired and frustrated, it felt like God was saying, I'm here. The principal's office in that moment was holy ground. It's not something you can touch or hold, but it will change the way you see the world. Somehow, God is here. God's glory will turn an elementary school principal's office into holy ground, exhaustion into peace. God doesn't make the frustration or the challenge go away, but for a moment, you know you're not alone. I don't know everything that you carry with you, but I knew, do know that God is closer than we think. And I believe those times or those situations that cause an interruption in our day are a wonder-filled pause in our grief or our loneliness, are a glimpse of God's glory. In the Ascension story, Jesus knew that hard days were coming. He knew he was running out of time. I think he knew they would need a glimpse of God's glory to carry them through. And so let's return to today's scripture and to the question the disciples asked Jesus. I'll read just that portion again. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. And I love this. Lord, is this time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Will life get back to normal now? Will the difficult times we're going through be over? Will you set things right so we can feel safe again? They expect that now is the time their apocalyptic hopes will be realized, when God will intervene and establish God's just kingdom for God's people. Of course, they're hoping Jesus will say yes. They're also probably afraid he's going to say no. But instead, he says, it's not for you to know. We're looking for someone to tell us what we want to hear 
that God will show up and wipe out our enemies, that God will intervene and swoop in and solve our problems. So we shouldn't be surprised that the disciples have this question on their minds. They've had enough stress and drama and disappointment for one lifetime, and they want things to calm down for good. And they just want to know, is this the time? And the word of the Lord is, it's not for you to know. These words are hard to hear. Most of us want to know what will happen in the future. What lies ahead this summer? What will having a new lead pastor look like? But I wonder if Jesus' final words in this event mean it's not what you know about the future that matters. It's who you are in the present and how you will be empowered. I think he's saying to the disciples, you need to know your mission and live into it. And if you fulfill your mission, you will be part of the solution, part of the unfolding of God's kingdom. And then after this interaction and Jesus vanishes up into the sky and the disciples are looking up in awe, the two men in white robes are standing by them saying, why are you looking up into the sky? Why are you wondering what's going to happen in the future? You have your mission, your marching orders, your vocation here and now. Jesus wants you to be his witnesses, his representatives, his agents on earth. And I believe this is his message to each of us today through these holy words. Jesus spoke up for the poor and those in the margins of society. He wants us to speak up for the poor and those on the margins of society. He showed up with food for the hungry. He wants us to show up with food for the hungry. He wasn't taken in by liars or hypocrites, and he wants us to see through deception and hypocrisy. He comforted those who mourn. He wants us to be comforters. And he dared to claim that God loves everybody, no exceptions, and he wants us to show that same kind of inclusive, non-discriminatory, no exceptions love. Why are you standing here looking up into the sky, the two men in white robes said. Jesus told you what to do. Shouldn't you get after it? Well, I want to finish the rest of Rachel Held Evans' letter to Jesus as she writes to him regarding his ascension. She writes, I can't think, I can't help but think that if you'd stayed a little longer, we might have avoided the Crusades or the Great Schism or that time we used the Bible to justify slavery and invoked manifest destiny to slaughter women and children. We've made a mess of things, Jesus, often in your name. We could use a little micromanaging. And yet, as always, you insist on using people before they're ready, before they've got it all figured out, like Abraham, Esther, Moses, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and Paul. Your people, like all people, mess up. Your people, like all people, learn as they go. And so here we are, charged with being your hands in the world, your eyes, your laughter, your tears, your healing, your teaching, your feet on the ground. I don't know, Jesus. I guess I just can't get over how miraculous and infuriating and profound and ridiculous it is that you trust us, that the God of the universe allows sinners to do his work. It's quite an unconventional plan. There are days when I'm convinced it's going to fail, but we won't know until we try, right? So I suppose that on Ascension Day, I best quit standing here at the bottoms of your feet 
staring at the bottoms of your feet, Jesus. And instead, get to work, feeding, fellowshipping, healing, teaching, loving, hosting, sharing, breaking bread, and pouring wine, one day at a time, ready or not. Help me, okay? Love, Rachel. I have a slide from Nathan Clary, he's a blogger, and he says, the absence of Jesus makes room for the possibility of his presence through his people. The absence of Jesus makes room for the possibility of his presence through his people. We embrace the wonder of our lives and the world while we still grieve and seek to heal and mend places where disruption and despair are known. And maybe just when we're feeling like we're feeling overwhelmed or falling short, God's glory is revealed in some way and God is saying, I'm here. The ascension of Jesus doesn't call us to rise to heavenly places of prestige or power, but to be present in the fullness of the human experience and carry on Jesus' work in our place, in our time. I'll end with a story. It's one that continues to unfold in my life. It was the early 2000s that my family and I moved into our house on 18th Street. It was a house with a little more room and a neighborhood filled with people of all ages. The day I met Carmen was a typical afternoon with the Willison kids at age four, six, and 10. They were loud, toys and sports equipment and hula hoops were strewn all over our yard and Carmen's yard, our next door neighbor. And there was the arguing and the laughter followed by tears and then more laughter, all of the emotions, all of the time. All three kids, extroverted and loud. As I was attempting to do some kind of project inside, I heard the activity escalate and feeling a bit self-conscious as the new family on the block, I went outside to see what the ruckus was all about. As I came outside, I saw that all three kids were playing wiffle ball in Carmen's yard. And upon further inspection, I saw that her front window was wide open. I was pretty sure she had a front row seat to the action. And I started telling the kids to rein it in, bring the chaos over to our yard, when Carmen came outside with a big smile on her face. She introduced herself and asked each of the kids' names, and then said, I've been praying for a family just like yours to move in next door. Her words never left me and gave me a sense of belonging and welcome. I didn't know it at the time, but I was standing on holy ground. Throughout the years, Carmen made sure our kids would stop at her house on Halloween because she had prepared special gift bags just for the Willison kids. During the summer, she, would, she and I would take a break from yard work and stand on the sidewalk and she would ask about each kid and tell me how amazing they were and how proud she was of them as they grew into teenagers and young adults. In February of 2016, Carmen passed away suddenly from a heart attack. She died just two weeks before my late husband, Scott, died. And so in addition to the grief we all felt in losing these two wonderful souls, there was also a very heavy and collective grief in our neighborhood. Carmen's home stayed in the family as a rental throughout the years. But last summer, 
her daughter and family moved in from Texas. They have two daughters, elementary age, and they have so much fun in the yard playing frisbee and laughing and running in the sprinklers, and I keep my windows open so I can hear them. And now I get to be the one to have special gift bags filled with treats just for them on Halloween. Well, as I was writing this message last week, I was sitting at our kitchen table, and our kitchen window overlooks Carmen's backyard. It was one of those nights when we had a rainstorm and occasional thunder. And as I looked up, I could see Carmen's daughter and son-in-law and two grandchildren cuddled up in blankets listening to the thunder and the rain. It was a feeling I can't explain, but I think that's what God's glory feels like. As I sat at my table, holding on to just a little bit of stress and distraction with books and Bibles strewn all about, it was like God was saying, I'm here. My kitchen table at that moment was holy ground. It's not something you can touch or hold, but it will change the way you see the world. Somehow, God is here. God doesn't make the task at hand go away or remove the burdens of a stretch schedule, but for a moment, you know you're not alone. God's glory will turn a kitchen table into holy ground, anxiousness into wonder. And God is here. God's fingerprints are all over the place, and I want us all to see that. We live in a world that tries to convince us that God is a million miles away and that Jesus floated up and abandoned us, but I don't believe it because I've seen the sunset and I've experienced God's glory that turns a car ride into holy ground, grief into awe. I've heard a song on a Spotify channel that I've felt God's glory turning a principal's office into holy ground, exhaustion into peace, and I've seen a family once again fill a home with laughter and love, and I've experienced God's glory that turns a kitchen table with too much piled on it, physically and metaphorically, into holy ground, anxiety into wonder. When God seems so close, there seems to be no better word than glory, and God's glory spills out into the margins of our days and gives us a glimpse of what could be we can spend our days looking up and wondering when things will be right in this world, or we can do the things Jesus told us to do. And may we always notice and recognize when God's glory is revealed in small and big ways in our lives, as Jesus reminds us, I'm here. To end, I have a, a, a reading by Teresa of Avila. It'll be on the screen. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are his body. Please pray with me. Lord of life, we do not know the face of the future any more than your disciples did. Like them, we have many questions. How to live, how to bear witness. Like them, we thirst for answers and also for your spirit. 
you are present everywhere that we might be fully present in our own lives. May we follow where Christ leads us and may we witness to those moments where your glory spills into our lives and reminds us that we're not alone. Amen. Now please stand for our closing hymn. on us afresh every day, but especially next Sunday for Pentecost. <laughs> we will gather once again on a Sunday to celebrate a very special event in the life of our church where the Spirit came down on the disciples and then they scattered and, and spread the good news all throughout the world. We have a wonderful, uh, the worship choir from the uh, African congregation will be leading worship, and we have a special guest preacher, uh, Salome Mwagne, uh, will be sharing the message. So uh, we'll all be feeling the spirit next Sunday. And now hear this benediction. It's on the screen. I would love for you to say it with me. May the Christ who walks on wounded feet 
walk with you on the road. May the Christ who serves with wounded hands stretch out your hands to serve. May the Christ who loves with a wounded heart open up your hearts to love. May you see the face of Christ in everyone you meet. And may everyone you see see the face of Christ in you. Go in peace. <laughs>